0: This is the 10,000 Depositions Later podcast, episode 36. I'm Jim Garrity. Today's topic, can an organization, after its 30B6 representative has testified as the voice of the organization, later submit affidavits for or against summary judgment that contradict what the corporate representative said in their testimony? At first blush, the answer would seem to be no. We've all heard the mantra about 30B6 depositions. They are binding on the entity as the voice of the entity. But many courts have said, in fact, that an organization can submit affidavits that are or appear to be at odds with the deposition testimony of the 30B6 representative. Why? Well, here's as concise an explanation as you'll find from a March 26, 2021 opinion from a judge in a personal injury case currently pending in the U.S. Southern District of Alabama, and the opinion Says as follows Quote Consistent with the view that 30B6 helps to make a corporate party more like an individual by requiring the designation of someone who can speak on the entity's behalf, the entity is subject to the same opportunity to revise its designee's earlier testimony as an individual would be. So just as an individual is bound by her earlier testimony, so too is a corporation. And just as an individual may seek to revise her earlier statements, so may a corporate party through its designated witnesses. Such efforts, however, are properly the subject of critical scrutiny of the trier of fact, in this case, the court. All right, so the court went on to quote authorities that essentially say that while the testimony of a corporate rep is binding on the entity, that testimony is not a judicial admission in the same respect as, for example, factual assertions in pleadings, or stipulations in a pretrial document. In those settings, a party's statements or admissions are, are in fact conclusively binding on the party who made them. But, the judge in this case said, statements made by a party, whether it's an individual or an organization through designated representatives, are evidentiary admissions that can be revised later. So the court says, when a party has given clear answers to unambiguous questions, which eliminate any dispute on a point, of course, That party, in those circumstances, cannot thereafter create an issue uh, with an affidavit that contradicts, without explanation, previously given clear testimony. And that's the key here. When you compare prior deposition testimony with the more recent declarations or affidavits, the question is, do they reveal a clear or inherent inconsistency? But for lesser variations in the testimony, the proper approach is to test that inconsistency through cross-examination at trial and allow a jury or the judge to weigh it in determining a witness's credibility. So if there's nothing more than a possible or apparent inconsistency, and certainly no inherent head-on consistency, then the sham affidavit rule, for example, has no application, and a motion to strike the affidavit uh, will go nowhere. If there's nuance, though, if it appears that the organization seems to be contradicting earlier deposition testimony, then it may simply be a matter of of credibility for a jury when it hears both versions of the entity's testimony. All of these principles are directly addressed in the March 26, 2021 ruling in Waters v. Hall citation in the show notes. That is a personal injury case involving a collision with an 18-wheeler. There are apparently federal regulations that require highly reflective tape at a precise height around the outside of the trailer container on an 18-wheeler, so that when the tractor trailer is stopped in front of you sideways, you'll see the highly reflective tape in theory and hopefully avoid crashing into it. So in the Waters case, in a corporate representative deposition, the rep for one of the defendants called uh, Team Transport Inc. apparently testified generally that the company was aware of its obligation to comply with federal motor carrier safety regulations. And apparently that same rep generally testified that this highly reflective tape does make trucks more visible. What the rep apparently did not say as the voice of the company, however, is that Team Transport was aware of the specific regulation that the reflective tape had to be in a precise location and that its placement of the tape was too high. I gather from the filings in that case that actual knowledge of the specific regulation about exactly where the tape goes is essential to the issue of liability. So on summary judgment, Uh, The company submitted an affidavit from the same woman who served as the corporate rep that allegedly claimed ignorance of the specific requirement for exact placement. Plaintiff's counsel then naturally moves to strike the affidavit, but the court says, no, this isn't a head-on contradiction, so it's something for the jury to evaluate. All right, some practical pointers when this issue surfaces in your cases. If you're taking a 30B-6 deposition, Of course, make certain that you've clearly nailed down your points with a 30B-6 witness. This isn't just a 30B-6 deposition issue. It's an issue for all depositions. Most litigators have had moments where they felt like they got fantastic admissions during the deposition, only to read the transcript later and realize that they didn't quite pin down an issue to the point where they had closed all loopholes definitively. And that's kind of rule number one for deposition practice. If you leave a witness a loophole, said witness will climb through said loophole and leave you watching them escape. In particularly critical depositions, this potential problem of not quite nailing everything down is one reason why you might want a court reporter to provide you a real-time transcript while the deposition is underway. That gives you a chance to read the question you just asked and to reflect briefly on whether you fully pinned the witness down as you think you have. In that respect, if you've got particularly critical points that you must lock down in a given deposition, 30B6 or otherwise, spend a little more time than you might otherwise preparing for the deposition to craft the critical questions to make sure you've covered all the points. And when you ask those critical questions, make sure you get a clear, unambiguous answer. That's the other bookend in taking a great deposition, asking a clear, tight question and insisting on a clear, tight answer. And if you get an affidavit for or against summary judgment and you want to challenge it because you did pin the witness down, obviously you're going to argue that the change in testimony is an inherent and critical change that collides head-on with the prior deposition testimony. All right, so what if you're defending in this situation? If you defended the 30B6 deposition, you've got to make doubly sure if you're drafting affidavits to stay clear of the sham affidavit rule. As you know, that rule provides that an affidavit that clearly and squarely contradicts prior deposition testimony on a material point can be disregarded by the court as a sham. So you've got to review the transcript very carefully and see if the point you're trying to make in your affidavits or at trial collide head on with prior testimony. But that should be easy enough to avoid. You've also got to consider as you're listening to your witness being deposed, whether you should conduct a follow-up examination of your witness to clarify a correct Uh, deficiencies in the testimony as I've said many times in the past the best place to correct or to develop deposition testimony is in the deposition itself not in an errata sheet or in a subsequent affidavit judges like to see corrections or clarifications while the deposition is still in progress so that the deponent can be subjected to follow-up recross or redirect whatever it is subsequent corrections in an errata sheet or a trial might be rejected by the court or by a jury as a credibility flaw. All right, to summarize today's lesson, notwithstanding the long-established principle that a 30b-6 witness's testimony is binding on the entity, it's binding only in the same way as the testimony of an individual. No material post-deposition contradictions allowed in later affidavits. But if the deposition examination of a 30b-6 did not tightly lock down all testimonial escape hatches you're just as likely to get quote-unquote clarifying or supplemental testimony following a 30b6 deposition as you would the deposition of an individual. And it's not always easy to tie down a 30b6 because those witnesses sometimes just cannot testify with the depth and precision of percipient witnesses, which is legalese for witnesses who testify about things they personally know to be true. But it's important to be aware as you start your uh, deposition of an organizational witness that that organization has the same right to clarify and supplement after a deposition as individuals. Thanks as always for listening. I and my staff and my publisher very much appreciate it. I've got to run. I've got my first in-person jury trial this week since March 2020 when COVID shut everything down and I can't wait. Time to get back into the courtroom. So you'll find all of the case citations on which this episode is based in the show notes. And as always, be sure to check out the book on which this podcast is based, 10,000 Depositions Later, The Premier Litigation Guide for Superior Deposition Practice.